Morning, church. Well, couples therapist John Gottman did an experiment. He had a number of couples live in an apartment that was done up with surveillance cameras. The couples knew about the surveillance cameras. Gottman analysed how the couples would interact and he found something unusual about the successful couples, the couples that would go on to stay together. He found that these couples acknowledged bids. Now, bids are the fundamental unit of emotional connect communication or the way that we try to get connection or attention from the person that we love. Sometimes these bids are big. Sometimes they're as small as one partner commenting, hey, look at that bird. Sometimes they're verbal. Sometimes they're nonverbal, like a smile. The couples whose relationships lasted were often the couples who acknowledged each other's bids. Now, this is all very nice and good for couples, but I actually think that a similar approach is helpful when we think about our relationship with Jesus. Isn't prayer a kind of bid? When we praise God, aren't we making a bid to our creator? But what about when God performs miracles? Is that not also a bid? Or when Jesus came down to earth as fully God, fully human, was that not also a bid? Or when we feel the Holy Spirit whispering to us, perhaps that too is a bid. See, I think Jesus makes bids in our relationship with him. It's just that it can be harder to notice than a friend's smile or a spouse telling us about their day. Let's pray. King Jesus, I ask that you'd speak through me, that anything that isn't of me, that you'd wash off of us. Lord, please soften our hearts. Help us to hear what you're speaking to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage that Jen read from is John 15, 1 to 17. Now, before this in John 13, we read that Jesus knows he's going to die soon. He has dinner with his disciples. He hands Judas the bread and Judas goes off to betray Jesus. Then Jesus begins his farewell discourse or his goodbye speech, some of which Jen just read for us. And basically, Jesus knows that he's going to die soon. And this is his last chance to prepare the disciples for what's to come. And at the heart of the section that we just read is the idea of remain in my love, be with me, stay. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28.20. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38 to 39. Jesus isn't in the habit of abandoning his people. 
Right from the beginning, God is there. He's wandering the garden in the cool of the day. He's the pillar of cloud and fire in the desert. He's calming storms, he's breaking bread. The psalmist even goes so far as to cry out, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Jesus is with us. Upon deciding to follow Jesus, we find that we're in him and he in us. Yet there seems to be a choice on our part to remain, to stay, to be with Jesus. To stay with Jesus, or to be with Jesus, is a good deal trickier than it sounds. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, makes the point that before Jesus went back to heaven, he made the effort to explain to his disciples that whilst he was going away from them, the Holy Spirit would be coming to strengthen them. But that the Spirit isn't visible. We can't see the Holy Spirit with our physical eyes. The human mind, in its now standard form, does not, generally speaking, accept as reality what it cannot see. He, God, can of course make himself present to the human mind in any way he chooses. But, for good reasons, rooted deeply in the nature of the person and of personal relationships, his preferred way is to speak, to communicate. And this, among other things, is the reason why an extensive use of solitude and silence is so basic for growth of the human spirit, for they form an appropriate context for listening and speaking to God. There's been a fair amount of research done on Gen Z phone anxiety. Part of why Gen Z is less likely to answer a phone call is because it's harder to communicate purely with the verbal. Whereas apps like FaceTime and Snapchat, they let the Gen Zs use both the verbal and non-verbal communication. You can see someone's expression. You can see someone's body language. Being with Jesus, I think, strips away a lot of the ways that we're used to communicating. It requires us to do a lot of listening and not listening to your favourite podcast kind of listening, not listening to your super talkative friend talk about their day kind of listening. Mother Teresa said, God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. To be with Jesus is often a slow and quiet process. Not always. Sometimes people experience a more direct and tangible response from Jesus. But often it's the still, small voice. Sometimes it might not even feel like anything. Yet Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. There's something static about remaining. It's a verb because it's a doing word. I learned that in primary school. But to remain is to stay put. Ask any excited dog or class of eight-year-olds who are hyped up on zoopadoopers, what's the hardest thing to do? The likely answer is to just remain, to stay still, to just be. And I don't think we're any better at it. 
It's just hard to stay still, to just be when there's so much to be done. There's emails to answer, there's laundry to be folded, there's assignments to write. And all of those things have measurable outcomes. Whereas just being with Jesus, often there's no visible outcome. There's no KPIs that have been met. Not a lot has seemed to change. Yet as we read in verses 4 to 5, Jesus also makes it very clear that without connection to him, we can do nothing. Our lives won't bear fruit. Apart from Jesus, our lives amount to nothing. The difficulty of remaining with Jesus when there's so many other things that we could do, where we could see a difference, is in fact the most important way of ensuring fruit will grow. The slow and still moments with Jesus, the connection that we have with him, is the most important interaction that we will ever have. It's that from that place of connection that we see fruit in our lives. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is written from the perspective of a demon who's trying to sway a Christian from their faith, writes, Our cause is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. Part of our obedience is remaining, to remain connected with Jesus, to be with Jesus even if it doesn't feel like it's doing anything. I'm the true vine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he, do, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remaining in Jesus also means being pruned by God, letting God shape and change us so that we can be closer to Jesus, so that our lives will point to Jesus, so that we can be full of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, fruit, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Being with Jesus is to submit to God's pruning knife, to be shaped by him for his purposes. Verse 7 to 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Have you noticed that the people that you surround yourself with impact who you are? If you're with someone that you admire for long enough, you'll start to act like them, like how the disciples, the Jewish disciples, aim to be their rabbis. 
But if you hang around people that are jaded and cynical, you'll find that over time that same cynicism will start to creep into your heart. If you're around people who speak crassly and carelessly, you might over time find that you yourself speak a bit more thoughtlessly. Who we are around impacts who we become. The people that we surround ourselves with change who we are. But the good news is that when we remain in Jesus, when we're with Jesus, our prayers start to become more like the prayers that he'd pray. What's on our hearts to pray for is what's on Jesus' heart to pray for. Ben Witherington words it like this. If one is going to sign Jesus' name to a prayer to the Father, one had better be sure that it's the sort of prayer Jesus would himself endorse and sign his name to in the first place. Now, that doesn't mean that we're only praying for world peace, although that's a good thing to pray for. We're still praying for our dog when our dog gets sick. We're still praying when we can't find our parking ticket and can't get out of top ride. We're still praying when, that our kids would do well in their exams. We're still praying the, the little mundane daily prayers. But as we're with Jesus, we'll find that we're influenced by him. I had a lecturer at Bible college who told us about how one day he was going about his day and he randomly thought about a friend who he hadn't spoken to in a while. And he thought, okay, well, I better shoot this friend a message. So he you know, checked in with this friend, how are you going? Been a long time. And the friend responded, oh, like, I'm actually going through some quite awful stuff. Like, yeah, thank you so much for checking in. What a coincidence. I think that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will find ourselves in the company of coincidence. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more attuned we become to his still, small voice. The more times those little random text messages might be God moving through us. Verses 9 to 17 are concerned with love. Jesus loves us, and we're to love one another as he loves us. Which is a terrifying thought, given that we'll see his love lead him to the cross to die a terrifying death. To be with Jesus is to rest in his love. It's to refill ourselves and refresh ourselves from his love so that we can go out and love others as he loved. Now, to quote N.T. Wright, the urgent question then is this, how do we remain in him? What does it look like in practice? We must remain in the community that knows and loves and celebrates him as its Lord. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We can't go it alone. But we must also remain as people of prayer and worship in our own intimate, private lives. We must make sure to be in touch, in tune with Jesus knowing him and being known by him. Now, to preach on how important it is to be in community that knows and loves Jesus feels a little bit like preaching to the choir. We're all here, we're all in church. But it's one thing to show up on a Sunday, and it's another thing to be in community. To be in community is to let ourselves be known and to become known. It's to be in the mess of people, 
to be with other human beings that have annoying quirks and opinions other than our own, which of course are wrong. I think a lot of the time being in community is to be uncomfortable, particularly for those of us that are a bit more introverted. But it's also what Jesus did. Jesus hung around people. He was in relationship. He was going to dinner parties. He was going to the synagogue. He hung out with people. Wright also talks about how we need to foster our own private relationships with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I often feel like it's going to be easier to be with Jesus tomorrow, you know, when it's a fresh day. Or next week, when there's less on. Maybe next year. But the truth is, by the time that I finish this sentence, by the time that church finishes today, our lives will be shorter. The person who loves to pray, the person who loves to be still with the Lord, to be with Jesus, begins now. And I suspect that this looks different for each of us. And it'll look different for each of us as we journey through life. What worked for you as a uni student might not work now that you're working full time. What worked for you when you had teenage kids might not work for you now that you're a grandparent of toddlers. John Mark Comer, whose book Practicing the Way has inspired this series, talks about the need to slow down, slow down your life to live at the pace and in the presence of Jesus. Now, for some of us here, that might be super easy. Maybe you're in a stage of life where you're just, it's easier to slow down than it's been at other times. Maybe you're just naturally good at it. But I think for a lot of us, we have to be super intentional with this. Practicing Sabbath is one way that we can be with Jesus. And it's something that we in the West don't really take as seriously as I think we should. Silence and solitude is another practice that Jesus modeled. Same with fasting and simple living. But I think all of these boil down to, how will I respond to Jesus' bid? How will I be with Jesus? Dr. John Gottman has a list of minor bids for emotional connection and corresponding examples. And it has things like, join me in learning something. For example, let's go do an ice skating class. Something I've never said to Andrew, by the way. Or, help or work with me. Let's help grandma outside. All these different ways that a partner might make a bid or a connection with another partner. And it's a great list. I'd encourage you to have a look, at, look through it. It's, I think it's good for all relationships, not just marriages. But the list got me thinking. What would Jesus' list be like? A number of those I think could apply. Probably not help me de-stress. Jesus being the Prince of Peace, like, I think he's got that covered. So anyway, I took the liberty of making my own list of what I think Jesus might have on his list. Humor me. Number one, pay attention to what I say. For example, love one another. Number two, respond to my requests. For example, go and make disciples of all nations. Number three, help or work with me. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Four, 
show interest or active excitement in my accomplishments. For example, the redemption of the world. Answer my questions or requests for information. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Chat with me. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Share your day with me, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Respond to my joke. He created both the anteater and the ants. I find that really funny, I don't know. It's like he created the ants and he's like, I'm gonna get them an apex predator just for them. Let me help you de-stress. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let me help you problem solve. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Be affectionate. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Play with me. Jesus loved a feast. Join me in an adventure. For example, the life he's given you. Let me teach you something. Jesus knows a lot about fasting, neuroscience, integrity, Plato. The list can go on. John Ortberg writes, the central promise in the Bible is not, I'll forgive you, although of course that promise is there. It's not the promise of life after death, although we're promised that as well. The most frequent promise in the Bible is I will be with you. Church, Jesus is with us. He makes bids for us. The Gottmans talk about the need to respond to a bid, how important it is to turn toward the bid, to respond to the bid, rather than turning away or ignoring the bid. Let's turn towards Jesus. Let's be with Jesus. Let's pray with him as we have our morning coffee. Let's praise him as we sit on the train going to work. Let's rejoice in him as we play with our grandchildren or nieces and nephews. Jesus wants to be with us. Let's turn towards him.